relationship with my Savior. So, so excited to be able to bring our final message in the book of Romans this week. We are coming out of Romans 16, so we have walked all the way through Romans. So um, it's been a journey, but I'm really grateful to um, be wrapping it up and just grateful for everything that we have learned and that the Lord has shown us concerning um, himself through scripture. So today's sermon is titled Pieces in a Puzzle, the pieces in a puzzle. And I think more than anything, what we're going to see is all that we have seen in scripture, not just in Romans, but the entire Bible is reminding us that there are these many different pieces and people who fit in this great puzzle of the gospel and truth and our relationship with God. And I think Romans, more than anything, has shown us we've seen a person here and a person there and a letter here and a letter there. But today, Paul's going to tie it up really well for us to see that these are not just individual stories or individual sentences or individual letters, but that he's actually putting all of this together. And it's amazing that you see these people who seem to be insignificant or less known were pivotal people in the body of Christ. And so more than anything, what I hope we do today is we tie a bow on Romans is to realize not only does God use regular everyday people to paint this bigger picture, but he uses us as well. And we have a place in the body of Christ. So go with me, if you will. We're in Romans 16. We're starting at verse one. Now I'm going to go ahead and tell you I wrote down the pronunciation of some of these words, but I cannot promise that I'm going to pronounce all of the names correctly. So just have a little grace on me. So he says, I commend to your, our sister Phoebe, a servant at the church at Sincrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a worthy way of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Aponidas, who was the first convert in Asia. Greet Mary, who, was, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they, are, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampelius, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and beloved Stachys. Greet Apelius, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Trophenia and Trophosa. Greet the beloved Persis who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, greet Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobos, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philegus, Julia Narius, and his sister Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Let's pray. Lord, um, as we begin to 
jump into this conclusion of our time in Romans, God, these are not just names. These are people. These are lives. These are pieces of the puzzle that you have so strategically put together, Lord. So as we read um, today, as we listen and hear the word of God, Lord, let us not only understand how you placed them in the body of Christ, but how you've also placed us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so I know as we read all of those, and some of them were mispronounced names, those hard to say names, it really is putting a bow on all the things that we learned and talked about over the last few weeks. When we read the Bible or when we go through a book like this, I know that over time it may feel like we're losing touch a little bit or even that a text like this will lose its influence. But we have to remember at the core, as deep and hard to read as Romans feels like it is sometimes, at the core, Romans was a letter by Paul to a church. It was a letter by this man who'd helped plant churches and who had also loved churches like the church in Rome, even though he didn't plan it. It was about a diverse congregation of real people, historical folks who lived and who had struggles, who sinned, who wept, who fought, who cried, who rejoiced, who celebrated. In other words, all of the people that we just named are real people. No matter how far removed we may feel from these people, they are all real folks who lived and died. And this text helps us see this. Now, when we see lofty numbers in the Bible about how many came to salvation, how many people were a part of the first church and who joined, we often fail to see that more than the church being this large number of people is made up of the individuals. Those humans who were out there doing the work, risking and even losing their lives for the sake of the gospel. Now, you know, almost any time that I go anywhere and travel, whenever I drive over a bridge, I get this overwhelming sense of placement in time. Because I realize going over that bridge... Somebody built this bridge. It didn't just grow up out of the water, out of the sea. Somebody took time. Somebody thought of this. And then it was the hands of faithful men and women who put it together. And I just ride over it. I just coast right on over that bridge. And I may never meet the men and women who built it. They may be living, they may not be, but the fact is, just because it's easy for me to go over the bridge doesn't negate the fact that it took somebody to build it. It took somebody to create it. And yeah, I may benefit from their work, but it took people to do it. They may be alive, maybe they aren't. Maybe I have met them. But it is so easy for us, even with things like a bridge, to forget that it took somebody to do it. I want to quote this poem that is often quoted by, was often quoted by John Wooden. And he's referring to teaching, but I want you to think in terms of the gospel when you hear this. 
It goes like this. It says, they ask me why I teach, and I reply, where could I find more splendid company? There sits a statesman, strong, unbiased, wise, another later Webster, silver-tongued, and there a doctor whose quick, steady hand can mend a bone or stem the life's blood flow. A builder sits beside him, upward rise. The arches of a church he builds, wherein the minister will speak the word of God and lead a stumbling soul to touch the Christ. And all about a lesser gathering of farmer, merchants, teachers, laborers, men, who work and vote and build and plan and pray into a great tomorrow. And I say... I might not see the church or hear the word or eat the food that their hands will grow, and yet I may. And later I may say, I knew a lad, and he was strong or weak or kind or proud or bold or gay. I knew him once, but then he was a boy. And they asked me why I teach, and I reply, where could I find more splendid company? If for no other reason, I think this is what Paul is doing in our text. This body of believers was built on the foundation of Christ, but it was the work of those faithful believers that helped build the church into what it is today. And Paul mentions these people, but he doesn't do it in a general sense like we've seen so often. He goes name by name by name by name by name. And the first pair that he mentions is a married couple that we're familiar with. He calls them Prisca or Priscilla, and the husband is Aquila. And he mentions that they had risked their necks for him. They had risked their lives for him. Now, if you remember from our time in Acts, these were two prominent people, two prominent leaders of a church that was in their house. And when he says that they risked their lives for him, that is probably a reference to what happened to him in Ephesus when because of the gospel, men were about to beat him to death. And they came and they rescued him and housed him. Now, it is interesting because in the middle of that riot, Priscilla and Aquila didn't know Paul all that well, but they did know that he was a believer. And so, yes, they risked their lives not knowing him that well and even provided shelter for him. He says that they saved his life. These two people who, if you ask most people in the world, do you know who Jesus is? And they will say, yes. Do you know who Paul is? Maybe not as many as those who know Jesus, but definitely some would know. But if you ask most people in the world, do you know Priscilla and Aquila? They would say, who? Most people in the world do not know who these individuals are, yet they had a tremendous amount of influence on the body of Christ. How? Because these two people, because of their willingness to risk their lives, preserve the life of a man named Paul. These two people who most people don't know risk their lives to preserve the life of a man named Paul, who would then go on because of his imprisonment, imprisonment to Christ, wrote 13 of the New Testament epistles 
many of which have brought millions of people to Christ. Because of two barely known people, we are sitting in the church right now. Y'all, this is how the gospel works. It doesn't take all of these grandiose people, these well-known celebrities, but it takes regular, ordinary people like me and you to not have this global impact, but to affect the lives around you. It's the one-on-one relationships that we have with one another that will change the course of somebody's life. These two people had a special care for the Gentiles, and they treated them well even after they were converted. They made sure that there were not these cultural outcasts in the church who felt that there was no place for them. Y'all, this work for Paul didn't go unnoticed, and it was important for the other members of the body to not only survive, but to function in the body of Christ. And then look at what Paul notes. He mentions a man named Apennetus. He says, and by the way, Apennetus was the first convert of ours in Asia. Now, the interesting thing about that is Paul wasn't the person that converted him. It was probably Priscilla and Aquila. They led him to Christ at some point in Asia, and he'd remain with them and traveled them. Y'all, without us probably even noticing, we are slowly being introduced to the real diversity in church. What you see are names, but what this church in Rome actually had were people like Priscilla and Aquila who were originally from Asia Minor. You've got Mary that he mentions who is probably ethnically and culturally Jewish and a Christian convert. Andronicus, who was a Greek-speaking Jew. Ampelatus, who was a former slave and now freedman. And he even mentions a former female slave. Y'all, what I'm trying to get you to understand is this. How did the true church, the real vibrant church, that started as this, co- this hub of culture and diversity slowly devolved into this monogamous, single-minded group of people who hate diversity. Because it seems that the further we get from Jesus and the cross, the further away from the actual look of the church we get. You have Jews, you have Romans, you have former slaves, you've got Asians, and they're all worshiping in one church. How? How do they make that happen? Because just a few years before this, they knew and they saw a man who was dead who came back to life. And that for them was a much stronger solvent than race or ethnicity or even geography. No, we all have this in common. That Jesus man was dead and now he's alive. And I believe in that. And I want to be around anybody who also believes in that. I don't care what they look like. 
I don't care how they talk. I don't care how they act. I don't care where they're from. If we have that in common, the rest will work itself out. So how in the world did we get away from that? Because we got away from that. We got away from Christ. And the reason for our gathering oftentimes is not because we love the Lord or we have the cross in common. The reason for our gathering is that we have stuff in common. Or that we sing or we play instruments and that's enough to bring us to the church but not enough to bring us to the cross. I don't know if y'all have ever heard the story about the old black lady and the little white boy, but they were best friends. <clears throat> and even though they were generations apart, and even though they grew up miles away from each other, they became best friends. Now, how is this possible? It's possible because one day that little boy was going in for his six-month checkup after his cancer had been in remission. When he walked in, he saw this older lady alone, and even at his age, he knew that she was scared. He knew why she was scared, more importantly. And he sees her sitting there by herself. And so as his mother checked him in, and he went and sat down by this lady who was sitting alone, and he leaned over and said to her, I was scared at first, too. But don't worry. It's not as bad as you think. You'll get through it. And he smiled. And she looked down and said, did you have cancer? And he said, yes. And it was hard, but I'm better now. And I know you will be too one day. And she said, thank you. Now, being a child, he asked why no one was with her. And as his mother walked over, she excused him, but the older lady was insistent on answering the question. She said that when people her age get as sick as she was, there just aren't a lot of people around to be with her like his parents were. And so he sat down with her until their individual names were called. And then he asked the nurses if they could have their appointments all at the same time. And they did. And for the next eight months, at the same time, they met, they talked, they shared, they laughed, and they hoped until she too was in remission. Now, while they initially bonded over their mutual struggle, the next 10 of their relationship was all about their love for each other. And when that lady passed away, having no close family to leave her possessions to, she graciously left them to him. Y'all, the key to this connection is affection. It's affection. Most of us in this room aren't called to change millions of lives. We're not called to probably change thousands. Most of us probably won't change hundreds and most of us probably won't even have that great of an influence on 50 of the people that we know. But this is a reminder. Bridges are built. Relationships are formed through the small, intimate interactions that we all have. 
Y'all, we are all puzzle pieces in this greater picture that has yet to be completed, that has yet to be finished. And the reality of that is that I may not, if you know how a puzzle works, I may not fit in perfectly with every other puzzle piece. <laughs> the way my edges turn and, and groove and bend and form, I may not be intended to connect with that piece way over there. But you know what happens when I connect to the pieces that I'm supposed to connect to? I connect to this piece, which connects to that piece, which connects to that piece. And so by default, we're connected. Same is the case with the body of Christ. And more than anything, not a single one of us in this room is the picture that's being painted. It's not the picture that's being put together. We are one puzzle piece, but a very significant one in this overall picture of the body of Christ. None of us in this room are the center pieces, but you can't underestimate how much you are needed. Jesus is the centerpiece, and we all need to be connected to him. He remains the center of what we do, but we also have to connect to each other. And maybe these names that we read are not all relevant to us, but you have become, and how you grow is because somebody had to pour into you. Somebody, one person, maybe it was a few people, somebody thought enough of you when they saw you as you were, they knew what you had the potential to be. And they took time they shared the gospel, and they invested individually in you. And I may never know who those people were, but I know you. And that means that the work that they have done in your life is significant. You all know people in here who took time, and they shaped you, and they changed you. But I want to do something sneaky. So I didn't, I, there was a name I ignored, and I wanted to. It was also probably the most ethnic name in the thing, Rufus. Um, but I intentionally ignored Rufus because I wanted to show you something. But if you look back at what happens there, Paul says, oh, yeah, and greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. But don't just greet Rufus, also greet his mother, because she's also been a mother to me. I know you're probably thinking, who in the world is Rufus? Sounds like somebody up the street. <laughs> Him and his mother? Who is Rufus? Do y'all know who Rufus is? Y'all know who Rufus Y'all know Rufus? Y'all don't? Okay. I'm going to read something to you from Mark 15 and 21. So I want you to think about how far this goes back. Mark 15 and 21. Shonda just pulled out her phone, so I know she's really, she really researching. I know. I already can tell you. Mark 15, 21. And it says this. 
almost in passing. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country. Mark is the only one who mentions this, though. The father of Alexander and Rufus to carry his cross. Y'all, this is, this is crazy. Simon of Cyrene wasn't even going to the crucifixion. What does it say? They just asked this man because he was passing through. And they got him as he was passing through and said, hey, will you help this man carry his cross? Of all the people there, Simon has the least amount of context. He probably has no idea who Jesus is, what is going on. And then out of nowhere, he says, all right, I carry the cross because I have no reason to not help this man. And he carries the cross. But what is the impact, what is the influence of this one man carrying this cross? This man ends up clearly converted from something that happened in this what appears to be random chance opportunity that he's just walking through the same city. They grab him to carry this cross. He carries the cross. He sees something with Jesus. He believes something that he sees. And he is converted. But not just him. We don't know the significance of all the work that he did, maybe. Maybe I don't know who Simon became. I don't know where Simon ended up going or where he went. But I know one thing. What does Paul say? Oh, can you greet Rufus? Can you greet his mother? Because they were believers. This sovereignty of God that we all dislike when bad stuff happens also works this way. There is no chance with God. Simon of Cyrene, who God has strategically placed in that moment to come around that cross and that crucifixion to carry it, sees what is happening to Jesus, comes to save in faith, goes home and tells his wife, Rufus's mother, tells his son, I just had an encounter with this man Jesus. And Paul, 30-ish years later, Simon is dead and gone. But the work was living on in Rufus. He says, greet him and greet his mother. Because not only does Paul say, she's been a good mother to Rufus, he says, she's been a mother to me as well. Y'all, it is so crazy how God weaves us together in this puzzle piece, this great puzzle, and we think these connections and these interactions are one-offs, or you say to yourself, I don't know why I had this conversation with this person or how this came up or why they stopped and talked to me. 
I don't try to be too deep or too spiritual, but we have to see every opportunity we have as a, a divine encounter to share the truth and share the gospel. Because we never know, even in passing, what one word of encouragement might do for that person. And how because of the faithfulness of Simon, not only were there generations after him who believed, but there were people in the church who were changed because of it. Y'all, every encounter, every second spent is an opportunity for us to shape lives, to change people, and do this work for generations to come. You are not just here for you, but there is a legacy that your faithfulness may lead to. This past week, I um, was doing the ancestry thing. You know, you start tracking back in history. And it amazed me. I got all the way back to England, 1622, and that was kind of where it stopped. But what it amazed me was this is I didn't even know who that person in England was. He lives, as far as I'm concerned, an insignificant life. He wasn't famous. As far as I can go back, that man died at 50 years old. But that man had a son and some daughters who had some sons and some daughters who married some folk, married some other folks, and in 1991, little old me was born. And it's easy to forget how it just takes connections. It's not that deep. You think the people on Instagram and Facebook are really influential? No. It's the people that you change around you that gives you the greatest influence. And this is it. This is the truth. You may never see the full benefit of that fruit but somebody for your faithfulness will walk in it be faithful over the few the little bit that's around you God has called you to that let's pray Lord we thank you for just this word God just as a humble reminder um, not to get lost in the weeds not to get lost trying to do the grandiose or the big thing, God, but to be very intentional about the people in the lives that are around us right now, the people that you've called us to right now. God, there are real people that you have called us to serve, to know, to fellowship with, to encourage, to comfort, to confront. And Lord, more than anything, we don't want to for the sake of of pursuing these greater achievements or lofty goals, miss the real-life opportunities to change maybe generations. God, I may not know every person that connected to every person in this room that led them here this day, but those are real significant people. And I look out here, God, and I'm so grateful for the the lives of your faithful believers and their testimonies, God. And Lord, it is my fervent prayer that because of the faithfulness of the men and women in this room, 
the young men and women, even our children, that there will be generations that follow them because of their faithfulness and your goodness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.